You're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. You know, I kind of always feel like the, the summer men's fishing trip is sort of the beginning of summer on the prairies. Uh, there's a lot of business as usual kind of stuff that takes place in summer for a lot of us. But we, we kind of add our busy leisureness to it, right? We're not as leisurely in the summer or in the winter. But in the summer, we, we add to our leisurely activities. And as we plan for summer, our involvement in church normally takes a bit of a backseat on vacations. And eat to our recreational activities. And I get that. I, too, look forward to summer vacation time. However, I want to spend some time reminding all of us today, especially the men, of something that you and I just cannot take a vacation from. It's something that isn't an add-on to our lives. It's actually part of our identity as believers. Since Easter, we have been focusing on uh, our attention on uh, our God and how he has made us. Because of the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, some very transformational things have taken place in you as a believer. Our our anchor passage throughout the last few months has been 1 John 4, verses 13 to 21. And this is how it reads. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So far, from this passage, we've learned three revolutionary truths. Number one, found in verse 13, God has given us his spirit so that we can live in God and God in us. That's the central part of our life network, that central part in that inner circle. Holy Spirit makes it possible for the almighty triune God to indwell you. Isn't that incredible news? That is incredible. If that doesn't amaze a person who claims to be a believer, there's got to be something wrong with your faith. Because that has got to be the most revolutionary thing that can happen to a person. That changes everything about you. And it changes the way that you engage with your life network, doesn't it? Number two, verse 14. Because we have seen this happen to us, we just have to testify to the people in our life network that Father God sent his Son Jesus, to save the world. Testifying to our life network should now be as a natural impulse for us. Where we used to live in hopelessness, Jesus now makes us hope evangelists. Number three, verse 15. Salvation is a simple message. And so we need to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to make his home in us. That's been the basis of our teaching since Easter. Now in June, we're talking about how to share that good news with the people in our life network. But what happens when sharing that good news is hard? How do you share that good news when the culture around you is so anti-Christian? Or when some of the people in your life network just don't want to hear it from you? Or when lives are so broken around you that they feel hopeless and abandoned by God. Or when the hard people are family and they know you well. Or when you've tried many times to share the good news with certain people in your life network, people you care about, and they've rejected you so often you dare not share again. Or 
and this is the last one. You've been a Christian for so long, and it's been forever since you've shared the good news with anyone in your life network. How do you drum up the courage to ask and and share it again? Well, hang on to your shorts. We're going to get into it today, okay? So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 14 to 21. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And this is all from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, therefore, on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Aren't you glad for that? Embedded in this text is the secret to how you can share the good news even when it's hard. And the answers come in the form of questions. The first question is this. What compels you? What compels you? I bet no one's asked you that in a very long time. What compels you? Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live in him should no longer live for themselves but live for him who died for them and was raised again. I love that. The love of Christ compels us. The Apostle Paul assumes that the Christian is compelled by the love of Christ. What does that mean? Well, he goes on to explain what it means next in verse 14. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Are you convinced? Who is the one who died? Christ. And he died for all humanity, right? That's gospel part one. And that includes, that all includes you and me. Jesus died for you and me. He died for us all, right? Now that means something. It also, it means that we also died with him. We died with him. We we share in his death. That's what the Bible says about those who trust him. Like Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 17, it tells us, Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That means that at some point in your lifetime, you accepted the good news of the gospel for yourself. And when you did that, a break in your lifetime timeline happened. And the old you died, buried in the ground, died with Christ. As Paul says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is now a new creation. The old is gone and the new has what? Come. And this new you then started when you decided to follow Jesus. 
And in Paul's mind, because of all that has happened to you and in you, the life of God gives you, and all that the life of God gives you should obviously compel you to live fully for Christ every day of your life forward. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for who? Themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Take a look at your own timeline. Do you see your own timeline? The timeline of your life? What does being a Christian mean? It means that from the cross on, after you died with Christ, and then were made alive in Christ, you should be compelled to no longer live for yourself, but for Jesus only. Because he died and he rose again for you. The gratitude that wells up in your heart for that reality, that new reality in your life, should be so strong it would compel you to now live for him only. That's what being a Christian is, isn't it? Being Christian isn't about your morality or your political persuasion. It isn't about your church attendance or serving at a soup kitchen. It's about you dying with Christ and now living for Christ and not for yourself. All because you are grateful that he died and rose again for you. Wow. Right? Really? And you know what? Look around. Look at yourself. You can tell who gets that in your world. Because they are compelled people. So while we all deserve summer, we spend way too many months in a deep freeze here in Saskatchewan, don't we? We, we need to take advantage of summer. Otherwise, I think it would literally be a crime. But as you plan for summer this year, folks, and next year, and years after, living for Jesus cannot take a vacation. Amen? Your involvement in church may be sporadic during the summer months, but living a compelled life for Jesus cannot be put on hold. And although even on vacation, Bonnie and I, and even while our family was living at home, we still attended a church somewhere, even if we were out of province, even if we were out of country or continent. Living for Jesus is not an add-on to our lives. Living for Jesus is our life, right? But why is it that important to sharing the good news with hard people? Why is it so hard to to share that good news with, with hard-to-reach people. Because, friends, listen. If you are not compelled by the love of Christ, if you are compelled instead or preoccupied with living for yourself, you will never take the risk to share the good news when it's hard to do so. It's all it comes down to. Are you tracking with me? Men, How about you? Are you tracking with me? Dads, grandpas, as Stanley's song said, you've got eyes looking at you and how you're living. Are you living as a compelled man of God? Being a dad and now a grandpa of five, yes, you heard me, five, we have Mia and Theo, but all three of our kids are now expecting. Becca, obviously, if you haven't seen her for a while, just tell her to stand sideways. But Danica and my Amy, too, are pregnant. 
So that'll be five for us. And you know what? As a grandpa, I want all of my kids to see that I am a compelled man of God living out of love for Jesus every day. Number two, are you still thinking about Jesus and yourself and your life network from a worldly point of view? Think through that sentence. Are you still thinking about Jesus and yourself and your life network from a worldly point of view? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, but we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you remember what your life was like before Jesus? Before you believed his good news? Paul's talking to Corinthians here. These are new Christians from a pagan, not a Jewish religious background. They had no understanding of what the law of God was or what Messiah was going to be like or what he was coming to do. These are brand new Christians. Brand new church. And in that way, they, verse 16, once regarded Christ from a worldly point of view, but no longer. Before I died and was raised with Christ. Remember the timeline? I thought Jesus was possibly a really good person. Good teacher, but probably just a normal human being. I was convinced he was real, but I wasn't much convinced that he was a son of God. But no longer. I get who Jesus is now. I no longer think of him in a worldly point of view. I used to think of myself from a worldly point of view too. I didn't get that becoming a Christian meant that I would become a new creation in Christ. I didn't get that I would somehow have a new supernatural life powered by God. That I would have the almighty maker of heaven and earth living in me, making his home in me, as Paul says, or as Jesus says. I thought of myself, in a, even in my first few years of being a Christian, I thought of myself as in a worldly point of view. Nobody ever really told me to think of myself in this way. As 1 Peter 1, verse uh, 3 to 4, uh, Peter kind of elaborates on what Paul's talking about. It says his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I am blown away by that thought. That you and I participate somehow in the divine nature of God. That's what Paul describes as God in us and us in God. We are participants with God in this way. He's indwelling now. Oh, friends, you and I got to stop thinking about Jesus and about ourselves from a worldly point of view. Because that kind of thinking keeps you afraid. But that's no longer you anymore, is it? Now, like you, I have people in my life network that 
still think of Christ from a worldly point of view. And some of them are closer to accepting Christ as their Savior than others. But others are hard. Hard Hard-hearted, we usually say. There are some in my life network who are like I was, just a total pagan. An irreligious person who knows nothing and cares nothing for Jesus. They've just never really considered him and his claims. Never given him a good good try. There are some in my life network who have been close to professing Christ as Savior and Lord. But they've never been convinced of his claims. I also have people in my life network who once did profess to be Christian. But because of hard things in their life, they've hardened their hearts to God. And sharing the good news of Jesus with any of these is hard. Because they regard Christ from a worldly point of view. And they regard us from a worldly point of view too, don't they? They don't see the supernatural work of God in us as much as we'd like them to. Maybe we don't look all that new. The fact is hard-hearted people scare us. We find it hard to share the good news of Jesus with people like that. And instead of the love of Christ compelling us, compelling us so strongly to take the risk, I'm afraid that fear compels us to stay silent. Especially if that person is family. Yeah? And depending on how long we've allowed fear to compel us rather than the love of Christ, we will probably not ever take the risk to share with them the best news we've ever heard. What that means, my friends, is that we, the Christian, are still seeing Jesus from a worldly point of view too. We're not seeing him with the power to save even the most hard-hearted people that we know. Remember who wrote this letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's Paul. Remember Paul's lifetime timeline? He's the writer here. He, but before all this great stuff he wrote, he was Saul of Tarsus, wasn't he? The persecutor of the church. Before God knocked him on off, off his high horse. Literally. Jesus has the power to save even the most hard-hearted person we know. Is that not right? We're also still seeing ourselves from a worldly point of view. We're not seeing ourselves being indwelt with the awesome presence and the power of God. Who do we need to be afraid of? The most hindering thing about our witness today is that we're still seeing the people in our life network and ourselves from a worldly point of view too. We're we're more convinced that they will tell us no and tell us off than they will bend the knee to Jesus. And we know that when we get the opportunity to share the good news, though we want to, we know we're going to say no to ourselves. We'll make some reason or excuse for why it's not the right appropriate time. We have become too worldly, my friends. Listen, Jesus was compelled by his love for you. So compelled that he came to this world to live among us, to be us, and then to go to the cross for us and your life network. 
He didn't say to himself, hmm, there's some people down there that are pretty hard-hearted. I, I don't know. Father, I, I'm afraid of those people. I, I, they might tell me off. He didn't do that. We know he didn't do that. He came, he lived, he died. For you, when you were hard-hearted. Jesus was thinking from a heavenly, divine, supernatural point of view. And so should we. You and I once easily celebrated that compelling love. Remember that first love experience that you had when you were first saved? And how eager you were to share what has happened to you with others? Isn't there a warning about that in Revelation? To go back to that first love? You were once fearless to share the good news with others. But then worldly thinking about Christ, worldly thinking about yourself, and worldly thinking about lost people in your life network crept in. And you became afraid. Friend, if fear dominates your attitude toward the good news of Jesus, then you just need to repent, literally repent, and reclaim and recapture that compelling love that Christ has for you. Just spend some time going over the last few chapters of any of the Gospels and read what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Remember what Paul says in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Friends, because of Jesus, God no longer counts your sins against you. Isn't that good news? He has reconciled you back to himself. That's really good news. So learn to celebrate it. Learn to be vocal about it. Learn to just, at every impulse, share something about that with someone. Never take it for granted and learn to be compelled by it. Number three. Another question. Do you understand that your new assignment is to do the work of an ambassador? Do you understand that your new assignment is to do the work of an ambassador? Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, in case no one has ever told you, if you've been attending here, it hasn't happened from me, but in case no one has ever told you, or in case you've let fear paralyze you from accepting it, you are an ambassador for Jesus, right? This has nothing to do with the gift of evangelism or whether or not you're an introvert or an extrovert. This has everything to do with the assignment that Father God has given to each and every one of us who believe. The work we are commissioned to do is to be appealing, to be implorable ambassadors for Jesus. Not deplorable, implorable. We're imploring people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Sure, you've got to figure out what that looks like for you with the skills and the personality that you have. Skills can be learned. Personality quirks can be overcome. But that's where the work of an ambassador comes into play. Being an ambassador is going to take work. 
But if you're compelled by the love of Christ, you'll make time for that work. You'll do the work. But this new assignment from God comes with all the necessary equipment that you need for the job anyway. Again, resist resist thinking of yourself. Resist thinking of Christ in a worldly way so that you don't paralyze yourself again. God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, right? That's a fact. We all believe that. Well, apparently he has also given us everything we need to appeal to the hearts of women and men in our life network. To be reconciled to God. Listen to verse 18. All of this is from God. So you don't have, this isn't from you. This is all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry, underline ministry, circle it, highlight it in your Bibles or whatever. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Notice what else he's committed. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The same ministry and message of, of our fa- that our father gave to his son to reconcile women and men to himself, he has also given to us. Christ, our brother, was the forerunner of it. He was the f- real first ambassador of it. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes the good news even more compelling to me. Because it's supernaturally available to me, this message and ministry of reconciliation to share with others. The work of an ambassador for Christ is going to be hard work at times. We're going to come up against hard-to-reach people at times. But let me put the work into perspective for you with a little bit of church history. Within the first three centuries of the church's existence after Jesus and the ascension of Christ and the Holy Spirit coming. The church had no political power whatsoever. In fact, it was a movement that was hounded by the Romans, persecuted and hated by nearly every community it entered. And as it spread from Jerusalem into Judea, then Samaria, and then to the rest of the unknown world, and known world, the church had no official buildings and in most places had to meet in secret. They didn't have paid pastors or mass outreach events in stadiums. It didn't even have the New Testament. And oftentimes, most times, didn't even have an Old Testament, so to speak of. The, the scrolls were not available except in synagogues. And yet it grew. And it grew. And it grew. It pressed the bounds and the boundaries of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth, just as Jesus commanded. The church was never as strong and compelling as it was when it was a persecuted people. When all that we had was a simple good news of Jesus and a transformed life. And it's still that way in many parts of the world today. Everywhere in the world today that the church is rejected by local government and by its culture, the church is growing in leaps and bounds. But where the church depends on government and charitable tax receipts for support and the approval of its surrounding culture, that's where the church is typically in decline. That's where we are at in Canada and the U.S., isn't it? 
The church is in decline. Literally, we're shutting doors of churches every single day, according to Barna. And it is that way because we have failed to be compelled by the love of Christ and we have rejected our job description as ambassadors of reconciliation. Fellow ambassadors, so that you don't think of Christ from a worldly point of view, it would be good for you to remember who your king is. He is the king of kings. He is the almighty prince of peace. He is the author of your salvation. He is the lion of Judah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church. He is the exalted Lord of heaven and earth, and everything is under his feet. And he is coming again, my friends. Our king is coming again. And when he does, the Bible tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is your king. That's why you should be living a compelled life. That's who you represent. And it's his kingdom you represent now. Not your own, not the kingdoms of this world, not the petty things you're setting up for retirement. You are a citizen of heaven. This world is not yours. It will be one day. But because he indwells you, you have become an ambassador. And you have nothing to be ashamed of or afraid of, Mr. and Ms. Ambassador. You have everything to be bold about because of who is in you. So why should we be afraid to talk to anyone about the one we love and the one who loves us. Here's an idea. Here's a couple. Here's how you can make yourself more appealing to people who are far from God and especially to people who are hard to reach. It, to be a good ambassador, you got to really be a person that people like, okay? So you got to smile more. you got to be an enjoyable person. You can't be crotchety at the, at the till when the person gets your food order wrong. You can't be that person. That's not you anymore. Remember, you, the new you has come. The old you is gone. Hey, I'm getting sidetracked. Canada Day weekend is coming. Just a couple of Sundays from now. The nation will live in, it, that we live in is getting ready for a national celebration. So get your ambassador hat ready for a diplomatic party. In faith, why don't you buy at least 100 hot dogs? they got to be halal and kosher hot dogs, and veggie hot dogs would be good to have some of those around too because some of your neighbors don't eat pork or beef. And get some pop. Go knock on the doors of your neighbors' homes and invite them to join you out on the street for a barbecue on Canada Day. Drag your barbecue to the front door. Go buy some Canada Day decorations from the dollar store. Party City if you want an upgrade. And then on the weekend, party. If, you, if someone brings booze to the party, don't look at them sideways in a silent protest. Don't, don't protest it verbally. Just let it happen. Don't make a big deal about it. Welcome them. And however they want to help make it a party, just... Be there for them. Dads, today is Father's Day. Here's something you can do before Canada Day. Why don't you take five minutes before the kids celebrate you today 
to explain to them why the love of Christ compels you to live as a follower of Jesus. I can't wait for this afternoon, around supper time. My kids are coming over to boil some steaks and some bags. It's called a sous vide. Apparently it's good. You can boil them for eight hours and they'll still be soft and juicy. I don't know, go, go figure. But. but before your kids come over, maybe after the meal, before the meal, whatever, just take five minutes to explain to them why the love of Christ compels you to live for him. Father, thank you. Thank you that we get to call you Father. You are Abba, Father. You are our Daddy, our Heavenly Father. Lord, I repent of ever taking that for granted. And I know that sometimes in the busyness of my day, trying to make plans for my little kingdom that I live in, I do confess that sometimes I forget that. I confess, I repent of being afraid sometimes to share the good news with hard people. Some of those people are even family. I repent and I ask you to forgive me of being out of practice. For not telling people more readily, more impulsively about the Jesus who loves me and whom I love. Lord, would you help me by your spirit to make that so impulsive that every person I'm with, I would celebrate freely what Jesus has done for me. When I see brokenness in their lives, may I be able to freely, courageously say, you know what? There was a time in my life when I was lost and I was self-centered and I was angry. But then I met Jesus and he changed everything for me. And since then I've had hope. I've had compassion for people where I never would have had that before. And I have joy. Unbelievable joy. Would you like a story like that? Father, I pray for the fathers here today. As a song that Stanley sang earlier says, they're watching us constantly. We forget that. But not only them, the people around us are watching us every day. They see us when we celebrate our kids and show them pictures on our phones and brag about this, that, and the other thing. Lord, would we have the same brag for you as dads? Would we not hesitate to ever tell our kids or grandkids every time we are with them of the amazing love that Jesus has for them so that they will never grow up not hearing it? Father, Abide with your people today. Be with us in your power and your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.